1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye with me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up?
2: Brooklyn Bridges, baby.
1: Mikel Bridges getting his own preview episode. We're going to jump into his game, a little bit of last season, what we expect this year and more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, I guess getting into Mikel Bridges... Last year was crazy, you know, as a Nets fan, the whole flip flop of the season and the big trades of Katie and Kyrie, but also a crazy season for Mikel Bridges because he went from being a star role player to a actual star player and a lead guy for an NBA team, which just has to be a crazy transition to happen in the middle of an NBA
2: season. Yeah, it sort of makes you think. Like we've all made the comparison point, with sort of say Shea Gill just Alexander. But thinking about like how many other players are out there that if they were given the Mikhail Bridges chance, would you know leap at that opportunity and produce it the way that he did? You know, I think Mikhail is a a, a special special player in terms of his. We'll obviously get into a lot of his strengths and weaknesses, but his durability, his attitude, his personality. The more intangible things that aren't the sort of box score stuff that we'll be touching on too so i think that this was an opportunity he was looking for we saw it in minor glimpses in phoenix in the absence of devin book and chris paul at, at different points and you're like hey there's kind of a player there and I, I remember going back in the days you know i think kevin o'connor had like an interview with him on either the ringer or, or one of the podcasts that they did and he's like You know, I'm not just a 3 and D player. I'm a 3 and D and more player. Like I can do some, some stuff and he's going to be asked to do some even more stuff this year as we've sort of heard at media day. Yeah. And
1: just looking back at a stat line for last season in the 27 games with the nets in the regular season finished with 26 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists, one steal, just over a half a block shot, very efficient from the field, 47% from the field and 37% from three and just a dramatically increased workload. So to see the efficiency maintain while taking on a bigger workload, getting more attention from the defense and just overall, you know, showing different aspects of his game, I think it was just so impressive.
2: Yeah. The dynamism to his game and the the versatility to his game. We all knew that he is an elite defensive player. Like if you've known basketball, and followed Mikael Bridges since he entered the league, you're like, oh, this guy is a defensive dynamo, and you want him to be your star role player. It's the reason why the Memphis Grizzlies were trying to to give up every pick in the world to try and get him. There was the minor rumors in Portland. I don't know how strong they were in terms of when Damian Lillard was looking for another star to sort of join him, and Damian Lillard himself wanted to join Mikael Bridges if the Bucks thing didn't happen. So Mikael Bridges is just a, a special player, and I'm going to be obviously we speak about the Ben Simmons stuff, the Cam Thomas stuff, you know, Nick Claxton stuff, but Mikael Bridges is our best player. And his ceiling is going to drive how far we do go and how much is still untapped in what we've already seen from Mikael Bridges. What more can we see? That's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. It's rare that, you know, your best player is also your best
1: two way player, you know, in terms of him having the most impact, you know, on both sides of the floor is an overall theme. That's, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, obviously I think Claxon's our best defender, but Mikel Bridges is not far behind. And if his offensive workload maybe wasn't as much, you know, they're on a similar level, both guys, Defensive Player of the Year candidates in previous seasons. So I guess, Jack, just looking back at his stint, you know, the 27 games with the Nets and the playoffs, you know, what are some big takeaways from that? You know, maybe some specific details that stuck out to you.
2: Yeah, there was just big games, Nick, and, and big yeah. moments where it's just like this guy puts up a forty piece, and you're like, God damn, Mikhail, like you, you do your thing. And there were just so many. That different one against ind- the
1: Heat really stuck out as one where I think he really put on the map, like, hey, I'm I can be a star player, I can hit big shots, and I can create for myself against good defenders. You know, in my mind, there's a couple replays of him beating Jimmy Butler off the
2: dribble and getting a big bucket for the Nets down the stretch. Yeah, in 12 of his 27 games that you alluded to, he scored 30 points or more. And in three of those games, he scored 40 points or more. You know, the the game against Atlanta was a, another massive one. The game against Orlando, unfortunately, a loss, but that Miami game certainly did stick out too. And both, the, all three of those games that he scored 40 plus in 35 minutes, 34 minutes, 36 minutes. Like it's not like he was playing 47, 48 minutes like he was at different points in the season and in the postseason. So he is a, the the dynamism and the growth of his shot making and the development of his offensive game, you know, I, and I, I looked at so religiously and so borderline obsessively at his free throw numbers. And we'll get to his strengths in a little bit, but he sort of said, he's like, oh, I'll learn a little bit from Chris Paul. And I'm like, I'm not the biggest Chris Paul fan, but the fact that he had an impact on our star play in such a profound way, the best players, the best offensive players in the NBA get to the line. You know, yeah. you're Paul Georges, you're Jason Tatum's, your LeBron James's, your you're Giannis Antetokounmpo. These guys get to the line seven, eight plus times per game. And Mikel did that. That was, you know, just something that I was really, really, you know, just awesome. To, it was great to see. And, you know, he is... He literally scoring... doubled up
1: his, his free throw attempts, you know, from the part yep. of the season with Phoenix to where he was in Brooklyn. Like doubling up is a, t- a tough thing to do for any statistic, unless it's, you know, turnovers.
2: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. James Harden probably <laughs> might be doing that and Russell Westbrook in, in different respects, but no strays to, for our boy, Mikael Bridges. So I think that, yeah, that, that was just one little thing. And obviously the three point shooting, the pull-up shooting, we'll get to a little bit when, when it comes to the strengths and stuff, but yeah, those, big offensive performances were were what really stuck out. Yeah. And I think while maintaining really good efficiency, which is, you know,
1: not super common, you know, we see volume scores or, you know, the simplest thing in the NBA is, you know, a guy goes down, someone gets their minutes and gets their shots and they can put up the production, but not the same efficiency. He maintained that efficiency while showcasing new aspects of his game. You know, you mentioned shooting off the dribble. I think shooting off the dribble from three point land was probably one of the most important things that we've seen. We didn't see it probably at a big enough volume to really have a giant takeaway, but definitely a positive flash of like, wow, he can do that now, really watch out. I think you start to see him as the season, you know, dwindled down and got into the postseason, how he was able to read coverages a little bit and you could see some potential as a passer. I know you've brought up in the past uh some of the connections with Nick Claxton. You know, maybe that's as he progresses forward, he's gonna understand where guys are gonna be. And also this year, he's just gonna have a lot more chemistry with his team because they're gonna actually have a training camp or preseason in an entire offseason and time to, you know, spend, spend on the court and off the court.
2: Yeah, how he gels with the rest of his team, and you know, obviously the big question we'll get to to those later in the episode, but how he improves the the facilitation numbers, and even if it's not like drastic improvements in terms of from two and a half assists a game to four or five, but it's more the nature of you know his 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 playmaking uh, for not just himself but for others. We'll be watching that, but. Any other final thoughts, Nick, before we jump into his strengths and weaknesses? Well, it's funny. uh, You mentioned gelling with his team, and I
1: think... You know, you watch the NBA, you, you know, cover games, you cover teams, you hear about guys being really likable. Well, Mikel is actually like one of the most liked players in the entire NBA. And that goes for his teammates, but also, you know, opposing players as well. And I think that really stuck out is like, he seems like a really good guy, like somebody that you want to be a leader of your team. And obviously, we've dealt with a lot of drama with this Brooklyn Nets team over the course of the last couple of seasons. So it's, a nice refreshment to have someone like him come in and just be so positive and, you know, try to bring everybody up with just his mentality off the court.
2: Yeah, I think sure. Marks and joe feel the exact same way, Nick. You know, I think that they're probably the ones that are, are feeling even more, more so in that fashion about, you know, Mikael Bridges. You know, we've heard at FIBA, Anthony Edwards and him, you know, had a good relationship. Austin yeah. Reeves was a big fan of the twins as well. So hopefully that friendship and that. Amicability and that likability pays off down the track, and we're able to land uh, another superstar to to join him in Brooklyn. But we shall see. It certainly can't hurt.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially if he can find his way into the next Olympic team, and you know, there's a big man that might be connected to the nets in the future. We'll leave that for another podcast, though. But Jack, getting into strengths and weaknesses.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What were the strengths that really stick out for you? Because there is a lot from Mikkel Bridges.
2: Yeah, look, you could go on for days and days and days, but I tried to focus on his the, the biggest of his strengths. And obviously, his man-to-man defense, his durability, like he's played 392 games straight. Like those are just insane numbers, especially in the modern NBA. And you go back to college and and everything, like the dude just doesn't miss basketball. It's just as simple as that. He is, we've spoken about Kevin Durant being a Hooper. Like this guy is the Hooper's Hooper. Like Kevin Durant wishes he had the durability and the ability to be as available as as Mikael Bridges is. And they always say the best ability is availability. Mikael Bridges is probably leads the list when you come to that strength. But his volume and efficiency on free throws is something uh, that we spoke a a little bit about. You know, I remember putting out a a tweet towards the, actually a couple of weeks ago. So he shot 89.4% from the charity stripe on 6.6 attempts per game. Like it was just, like, insane. Like, I remember there was a point where it was, like, him and Damian Lillard were the only guys that were shooting, like, nearly 90% on the volume of, like, five-plus free throws per game. So, it's sort of like when we had Katie and Kyrie back here, and those guys just didn't miss free throws. Mikel Bridges sort of supplanted them, and I think he gets to the line a little bit more. And because he has that sort of gangly nature, but I think he also has the little rip throughs and little tricks here and there that he sort of learned from some previous teammates. So that to me was a big strength and he's, his his pull up shooting both on yep. twos and threes was better than his field goal shooting. He, uh, he's he shot, as you alluded to, you know, nearly 37% from three, he shot over nearly 38% from three on on, on pull-up shots on, on three-point attempts. And then from the field overall, he shot over 48% on pull up So his pull-up shooting was incredibly smooth and fluid. So those are the ones that I had, and you've probably got a billion more.
1: Yeah, I think you uh, mentioned the pull-up shooting, you know, obviously the three-point stuff, but... He's like automatic from not just the mid range, but also the short range, which is like a unique area that you don't really think about. You know, you just think of Mikel getting in the paint and kind of just getting right in the paint, not necessarily at the rim and just feeling automatic. And that was something that really stuck out for him and his ability to kind of maneuver around slither good footwork in there. Um, I think also, you know, you just saw him show an improvement in terms of the way he can create for himself. And uh, like you mentioned, the durability stuff really sticks out because, you know, with the workload getting to the rim, more getting more contact from the defense, you expect guys to, you know, have some bad luck just landing on ankles and things like that. And he's been super blessed in his ability to kind of just stay healthy. So, you know, the, all those kind of areas, I think, you know, we could go down the list, but we really nailed, I think the elite ones, the ones that really separate him and are, above and beyond a lot of other guys
2: yeah and in terms of i guess his best defenses other than like sort of man-to-man defense i think you know in speaking about what he makes him so good at his man-to-man defense is the fact that now the nets are going to be a bit more defensively versatile i think is going to benefit mikhail bridges because his screen navigation is incredible so he's not just going to have to give up switches to to clacks and, and and maybe some other guys obviously that still might happen but his ability to go under to go through to go over screens is something that a few players in the NBA can do it's sort of like him and Drew Holiday I like the the elite of the elite that their positions are doing that and i think that's going to allow it might and maybe the nets don't do that as much cuz it can be a bit you know cumbersome and and physical and, and and tolling on on a person's body but he is insane at that
1: yeah maybe it's more of like you save it for the fourth quarter you know, you save it for the yeah. moments
2: that really matter. I think, you know, you
1: mentioned it, you know, playing in drop, not only his ability to get over screens, but even while he's fighting through a screen to still impact a shot with his length and being that slim and lanky can really help him in that aspect. So that's definitely a major plus and something we'll see more of this year, like you mentioned, with the defensive changes from the Nets.
2: Yeah, no doubt.
1: In terms of weaknesses, Jack, what really stuck out for you in areas where just, you know, maybe he, just wasn't as good as, you know, some of the elite skills.
2: Yeah, I think the things that sort of stuck out is is just rebounding and playmaking for others, you know, playmaking for teammates. I think that it's when you watch the game, you sort of see that. I think Mikael has, you know, an insane wingspan, but he's just sort of like KD when it comes to rebounding without the 6'10", 6'11", 7-foot height. So he can't just sort of jump up a little bit. Like, yes, to sort of fight a little bit more. And when it comes to playmaking for others, he hasn't really had... The chance to sort of do that like have the ball in his hands consistently even in brooklyn because spencer did when he had you know a pretty high usage rate and was the you know lead ball handler probably for large portions of you know mikhail bridges tenure as a brooklyn net so far as well so we haven't seen that unlocked for him so the weaknesses are sort of unknowns and the rebounding i th- think is just something he's not going to be an elite rebounder um, for for his career just cuz he's you know, 6667 he's not really the the biggest strongest guy in the world he's not going to be able to put on you know the 10 20 kilos pounds whatever you want to call it so i think that will stay something that is not subpar but average but the playmaking is something that i think you know probably could improve
1: yeah, I think, like you said, playmaking for others is an area where he needs to get better because he showcased an ability to create for himself last year. Teams are going to react to that. We saw Philly react to that in the playoffs. There's going to be double teams. You're going to see different defensive coverages. Now you have to adapt and make the right pass and, you know, set guys up and help the team have success. Like you mentioned, rebounding, not great. You know, he can kind of get away with it, though, because he does spend some time essentially at the two because of some of the versus how lineups and Nets can play. So you don't feel as bad if your two guards not, you know, rebounding well, but if he's playing a little bit you know up you know at the three or the four at times like you want to see him improve but at the same time like you mentioned with katie just being slim there's always the risk of you know going up and the ankles and all that nasty stuff that we don't want to talk about or bring you know bring the idea to the pod but i think that's really the two areas where if he improved you know rebounding which i honestly probably don't care about as much i think it's just reading the defenses and creating for others
2: i also think nick because as we were chatting it reminded me and this probably this chat about weaknesses will pertain to areas of improvement as well. Uh, he's scoring and shooting in the clutch. Like he just wasn't given those opportunities. He, you know, Cam Thomas spent and a day. would say he, he Cam...
1: needs to demand the ball more in the clutch.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Like he's, his volume as I was you know just uh, about to talk about Cam Johnson had more shots than him in the clutch Cam Thomas had more shots than him in the clutch and Spencer Dinwiddie had more shots than him in the clutch and his efficiency was really poor as well so for him it's going to be about like hey I'm the guy on this team give me the goddamn ball and yes Spencer Dinwiddie was pretty efficient you know in terms of you know uh, when you're looking at clutch numbers and, and and percentages and such but I think it's going to be more about the growth from Mikael Bridges that will take us there. We know what Spencer is, whereas there's untapped and we had so many arguments about why the hell is Spencer taking these clutch possessions? Mikael Bridges is there. Where is his fourth quarter scoring? Why isn't Mikhail Bridges getting the ball? There were people saying that at freaking fever basketball when he was dominating yeah. and he just didn't get the basketball in second halves of, of big games. So hopefully that trend doesn't continue in Brooklyn like we saw in the latter points of the season in Brooklyn as well as sort of Spencer being given the ball and and him sort of doing his thing on in isolation so hopefully Mikael gets given those chances because I think he's just a a better offensive player I think his playmaking is subpar in comparison to Spencer Dinwiddie but when it comes to scoring I think I I want the ball in Mikael Bridges hands and if he misses certain shots here or there you know, his release point is really, really high. I just think he's a, a bit more fluid of an offensive player. And he can get to the line pretty goddamn well too. You know, Spencer can do that as well. But I, I want I want it to be in Mikhail's hands. You know, give him the ball in clutch situations. Let our lead superstar, you know, dictate what's going to happen in, in big games. Yeah,
1: I think another area that sticks out to me, too, is that I forgot to mention is his ability to deal with contact. I think, you know, now being a lead offensive player, you're going to deal with a more physical defense and you need to be able to handle that. And sometimes that'll lead to more free throws, but also you can't get pushed off your spots. And we saw that happen in that Philadelphia series. So dealing with contact, having counters for the way they're going to play you, especially getting to the rim and understanding, you know, you can use your length. And I think last year we saw some of his layup package, but I think it could probably expand a little bit more
2: yeah and you talk about you know the the efficiency dropped a little bit from well dropped a bit from the field but from three it was it was better in that philadelphia series in terms of the scoring it did drop because it just did like he, he was being taken out of certain situations but he was playing enhanced minutes so that's you know a, a, a reflection of the efficiency drop but he's rebounding was pretty good and he's playmaking like he averaged four assists over the series again in over 39 minutes so if that number say if we see Mikhail Bridges in 32 to 34 minutes we'll get to those minutes numbers uh, a bit later if he averages th- four assists per game you know I'd be pretty happy with that but as you alluded to how he deals with opposing defenses you know it's going to be I've already heard General NBA Pod speaking about the Nets being like, Mikael Bridges is your best offensive player. Like, yeah, he did. He had a nice little run, 27 games, 26 points you alluded to at the start. But how is he going to do over that, that over 82 games plus? We'll see. And, and that's probably going to be the key indicator of Mikael's growth and, and the team's growth overall. Yeah. And obviously it can be
1: helped or hindered by the play of some of his teammates and specifically talking about one guy who's been talked about a lot this summer, Ben Simmons, and not to bring him up on a Mikel Bridges podcast, but just because he can set him up and make his life a lot easier. You know, he doesn't necessarily have to create for others as much. He'll be just able to kind of score the ball and make easy reads with Ben running the show. Ben can be somewhat dominant in creating for the offense. So I think he'll definitely be impacted by other guys. Even his, you know, good buddy Cam Johnson, you know, if Cam takes a step, that's going to be huge or even Cam Thomas taking a step and, you know, providing more offense. There's just so many other avenues too. That can be a positive or negative for Mikel's, you know, season because The workload is going to be there, but the workload is definitely going to differ depending on, you know, how much help he has.
2: Yeah, the it's going to be about the collective that can help drive his individual growth. And, you know, maybe we can chat about this now. We can chat about it later. You can tell me, Nick, but it's going to dictate whether, you know, he is that prime A superstar or was he going to be your Jalen Brown, like where it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You know, is he gonna get there you know there's plenty of reasons to have reservations but there's also a few reasons to be like hey he can do these sort of things or is he gonna be that second tier where it's jalen brown sort of chris middleton those sort of types now those are still incredibly good players and all nba players and, and nba all-stars and who's to say you know where he does go but as you alluded to you know those guys have all had some pretty good teammates supporting him along the way that have allowed you know those guys to flourish in their respective team situations
1: yeah i think it'll be interesting i don't think uh, i ever envisioned and Mikel Bridges being a number one on any championship or contending team, maybe on a playoff team, but if you're trying to win a championship, I think we need to find out if he can be your number two, you know, and I think that's what this season's really for. You know, can he be your number two? Is he better suited as a number three? Or can he be, It's that to be in like one of those 2A, 2B situations? So it's going to be very intriguing. I think 82 games is really going to give us that answer, and then hopefully a playoff series will give us even more.
2: Yeah, and I think that we got a minor glimpse of it at Team USA FIBA situation. He was the second best player. And there's a lot of people out there who were saying he was better than Anthony Edwards because of what he was doing defensively and because of his efficiency. So I'm confident he can be the number two on a, a very good team. It's just what is his individual, you know, pop? Like can he like be, you know, the there's a lot of people and it, it seems this seems to be like it's a like toy he can pops be up. a
1: number two, but it's like who is that number one? Is the number one a a, a top three top five guy or is he a top 10 guy and i think that's kind of like also figuring something out
2: yeah it, it's it's gonna be you know intriguing because you know paul george anthony davis you look at this sort of second best guy on 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 championship sort of fringe teams you know what is mikhail's range is he gonna be you know the top 15 player in the nba is he gonna be a top 30 player in the nba where does his range sort of fit and the fact that there is us even talking about the fact that he could be you know a, a bona fide number two you know bona, there's plenty of bona fide number twos you know around the nba that are like top 15 players so yeah it'll be intriguing to see where he sort of gets to i think his growth is and his flourishing already in, in a small sample size gives us uh, a lot of a lot of hope as nets fans to see what he can become
1: yeah 100 i mean it's just and i think again a lot of you know, the regular season is cool, but really a lot of these answers will happen in the postseason when you are, you know, dealing with a game plan or that you're matching up with the same team and they know all your sets. And it's just kind of a one-on-one situation where you have to beat the guy in front of you and understand what's, you know, coming at you from that opposing defense. So it's going to be a fun year for him and there's going to be bumps and there's going to be highs and lows, but it's fun to watch the growth of A youngish player you know he is 27 years old but the change in role is what kind of opens up the ceiling in my opinion
2: yeah i mean and he was good in the the sixes series he wasn't great like if we i would say
1: i would say he was he was good in like games he had like two good games and i thought two games he was bad so i would say he was okay
2: yeah so look i'm Maybe it's sort of like the the scale of what you think good is. Like I I think good is okay. You know, it's a C plus or maybe a B minus or whatever. But that's that's sort of like okay. Well, this is one of the teams that could have very easily been in the NBA finals, and McHale bridges was you know good to okay. You know, does he use that as a, a stepping stool to to become a better NBA player, or is that the the best we're going to see? Because you alluded to, you know, he, he's 27 and he's only been able to show certain things here or there. He is 27. Like that, you're not going to see you know, an Anthony Edwards sort of jump from him. Say Shagun Alexander jump from him. You know, I don't think that the jump's going to be that big, but I still think he can take some steps forward that can solidify himself as a in very good elite NBA player on both ends of the floor i I think already he's better than chris middleton has ever been but can he be better than jalen brown can he uh, you know he might be in that range already you know uh, but can he get to you know somewhere in between jalen brown and paul george Kawhi leonard you know that's the sort of realm when you're looking at the best wings in the nba i think when they were doing lists someone had him as sort of like eighth i think that's pretty fair can he crack the top five by the end of the year we'll see yeah, I think
1: also for him, even if he doesn't take necessarily steps forward, if he can just, excuse me, repeat what he did in the 27 games with the Nets across a full season, that would be still growth in my opinion.
2: No, no doubt. I completely agree.
1: All right, Jack, looking at his role for this season, obviously we've mentioned it a, a couple of times. He'll be the lead player, the star player on this team, you know, the head guy. I think also from not just a play perspective, but from a leadership perspective, how many minutes do you think he's
2: landing per game this season? Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting one because he he averaged you know a bit over thirty four last year for the Nets, and because of the Nets' depth in terms of how many guys that they've got that are NBA players, I think that that number probably stays pretty similar. You know, it might be. 35 but i i can't really see it being lower than 33 i'd say if you're talking about ranges it'd be 33 to 36 but because you know ben simmons is going to need some minutes this year dfs and royce is still on the roster you want to give some opportunities to cam or lonnie cam Teal, or lonnie whoever else it might be i think a, a similar number is probably gonna be that sort of 34 number
1: yeah i think. I'm going to go with 34.5 as my exact guess. You know, I think it's, you're right, spot on. You know, it could maybe get a boost up with some games. I think Vaughn obviously likes Mikel Bridges and could depend on him a little bit more in some of those games where the Nets really need to win, especially gets towards the end of the season. So that sounds about right to me.
2: Nope, I'm I'm probably with you on that. I'll stick with 34. I'll go slightly lower than you just to be different. What are you thinking for the stat line, Jack? Yeah, I think if it stays like at the points, like I, I like to give ranges. I'll say the points is somewhere from 24 to 27. You know, again, a, a similar sort of range. You know, the the free throw attempts, you know, I'd like to see that, to, you know, up to sort of seven per game. That's going to maybe even eight. I don't think it's going to get any lower than, than six because he already showed that he can do, you know, over six, you know, nearly seven as a Brooklyn net. Uh, and the sort of efficiency, you know, he shot fifty three percent from two, thirty seven point six percent from three, and forty seven and a half percent from the field overall. If that gets to 38 39 percent numbers from three on, you know, seven, because we've already seen and already heard that Jokic wants the three point shooting to to really increase, and in the. The responsibilities are going to increase for Mikael Bridges in that department, and I think that means you know increased shooting and volume from um, on pull-ups as well. Because you know while his pull-up shooting was pretty bloody efficient, you know he only took one point eight of them per game. You know, KD took two two and a bit. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie took three point eight for some reason. Um, but in in saying that, yeah, I'll go. Oh, let's not hedge my bets. I'm going to go 27 points per game. Let's go four and a half rebounds again. I'll go four assists on, I'm going to go 50, 38, and 90 shooting. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a really efficient season. I think I'm a little lower on the field goal percentage. I think it'll be closer to that 47, maybe even at the 46 range, because I think he's just going to see more attention. You know, it's not going to be as big of a surprise, but also that's why I like the assist numbers to hit four, because I think you'll see not like crazy double teams, but just more attention when he's getting the ball because that's what you're thinking about with the Brooklyn Nets now. You know, that's the guy that you're looking to stop and slow down. And I think the points will probably stay around the same just because, like you mentioned, the three-point attempts could be up while some of the other efficiency might be slightly down, in my opinion. So, you know, I I agree 25 to 27 sounds pretty good for Mikkel. And, you know, there is also a possibility where he really pops off and maybe it's even higher.
2: No, exactly. We'll, We'll have to see how it pans out. And, you know, I think I'll be intrigued as well. You know, his extra ball handling his extra responsibility for him there. Cause when it's talking about like areas he needs to improve, like the, the pick and roll play, you know, how tight is More his volume handle, too. the volume, all, all those different things. Cause I thought I'd quickly look up, you know, his his pick and roll frequency last year in terms of an efficiency as a Brooklyn net. You know, as a Brooklyn net, his frequency 27.3% of the time, he shot one uh one points per possession on and and his efficiency, you know, 48% from the field or nearly 50% e-field goal percentage, you want those numbers to increase. You know, you, you compare that to, say, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, 38% of the time. You know, Kevin Durant was at around 20, sort of 5%. So I think that if that number improves, you know, the the volume to around 30% of the time, you know, you sort of compare it to, to other players and and the efficiency becomes a, a you know 1.1 point per per possession one point per possession is is not nothing to sneeze at but it's certainly not 1.19 like you know Kevin Durant did average or you know some of the other you know really really good NBA players in, in that department
1: yeah I think definitely it's just you know another thing to kind of just watch as the season progresses for him and also I think how Vaughn utilizes him offensively and like I mentioned how some of his other teammates are and how You know, there's going to be also situations where guys are banged up and he's put into, you know, harder roles or different roles. And I think Vaughn kind of figuring out the whole spacing thing with Ben Simmons and Claxton is kind of an underrated thing to impact the other three players on the floor.
2: No, no doubt. Completely agree. It's going to be about the balance around him as much as it is the balance around Ben, which everyone seems to be focusing on.
1: Yeah, exactly, Jack. Anything else in terms of Mikel Bridges for this upcoming season, or questions, or storylines to touch on before we
2: get out of here? Yeah, look, uh, I wanted to ask you, Nick, because I think the big thing is, as we sort of have discussed, you know, quite a bit on this episode, will the best player always takes your team as far as they sort of go, and Mikael Bridges is already, you know, top twenty-five, top thirty sort of player. What do you think we could see his ceiling be this year? Because I allude to, you know, Bleach Report had him eighth, you know, in terms of their wings, you know, in terms to just give it some context, Jalen Brown was at number seven, Paul George was at number six, Kawhi Leonard was at number five, and then Jimmy Butler was at number four. Now those, when talking about Butler, Leonard, and and Paul George, those are top 15 guys in the NBA. Jalen Brown, who still hasn't practiced his left-handed dribbling, yeah. um, is probably a, a little <laughs> bit lower, but where do you think the ceiling is for Mikael Bridges? Like, is the ceiling the roof? Is the ceiling like a genuine all NBA contend contention, or is it all-star contention?
1: I think all-star definitely is realistic. And I think all NBA and the back end, you know, third team, the last guy to get in, you know, I think that would take a really good season and season from the team as well. You know, it would be one of those situations where the Nets would have to win like 50 games and just, you know, really like deserve a spot on that or deserve two spots, depending on the situation at the time. And I think like, He could pass Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown obviously has made improvements, but there's also areas that have been weaknesses for multiple seasons for him, as you alluded to with the left hand and just some of his inconsistencies. And it feels like at times he kind of loses focus in the game, you know, gets beat by a lot of backdoor cuts and stuff like that. So I think realistically, he could probably jump up a spot or two, you know, sadly to say one of the guys in front of him also could get hit by father time or have to deal with another serious injury because a lot of those guys have dealt with big injuries in the past. Not that I wish that on anybody, but also it's just another possibility given Mikel's age and his durability. And then also I think in terms of like the whole scheme of the NBA, like I said, you know, and I don't like to be pessimistic or, you know, put anybody in a box. I just see it's very unlikely Mikel Bridges is ever a top 10 player, which isn't a bad thing. You know, there's only literally 10 of those guys in the entire world. Uh, I think more realistically maybe getting in the cusp of like a top 20 player if he really clicks on everything maintains efficiency and has just that overall huge impact on both ends of the floor so top 20 seems like a plausible thing i don't know if it's likely but i think it's possible
2: yeah i think the all nba changes now it's just essentially going to be the best 15 players can next season is going to hinder him can mikhail bridge be one of the 15 best players in the nba next year I will not say no, because I, I want it to happen. But in terms of last year, Jalen Brown was, you know, all NBA second team. And I'm like, uh, Mikael Bridges, I just think he's a better player than than Jalen Brown, because I, I just think that in terms of his efficiency, in terms of his defense, in terms of his ability to lead a team, you know, in terms of his just all around holistic, you know, the, the all different parts and skills to his game. I think Mikael Bridges is a better player. And I think, you know, it'll be intriguing to see what that ceiling is you know i might be a little bit higher than 20 i might go somewhere in the sort of late teens maybe mid-teens because you know it, it's it's, it's going to be intriguing and fascinating to see what the growth is you know we've spoken about the areas of improvement the, the efficiency all those the volume and, and and all those different sort of you know uh, indicators and it's going to be you know we're going to get a big sample size of it this year we got you know, a little bit of an amuse-bouche, a little bit of an entree, a taste tester over the 27 games in the postseason. And now it's going to be Mikel Bridges, Brooklyn Bridges for an extended period of time. And I can't wait to see what he can produce and and where he, he determines his own ceiling.
1: Yeah, 100%. And he could definitely break the ceiling. And I think we're just mentioning with the top 15 making All-NBA team, you just have to be a top 15 player for that season. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you are an actual top 15 player overall, you know, over the stretch of time. It's just that one season, you know, injuries, bad luck for other teams, good luck for you. And things can kind of break that way. You know, we've seen it happen in the past. It could happen to Mikel Bridges this year, but Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.